Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And when it came time to put the money in the bags, the girl got nervous. And at that point, I'd had enough. And that's when the gun came out. The money came flying out of the drawers at that point. And when I walked out of the bank, I remember looking back and seeing the looks on the faces of all the patrons and the, the employees. Well, that's a cliffhanger. So did the guy shoot? Did he get away? What happened? I'm going to let the suspense simmer while I weave another tale for you, Amy. This story comes from Kate Torgovnik may who is a journalist and one of the writers of this podcast. Here's Kate. So this was this was a few years ago. I was working at an office in Midtown, New York City. Uh, walked out of my office, went to the bank, which was maybe two blocks away, and I kind of pull on the bank door, and it doesn't open. And I hear this sort of official voice near me, and I look, and it's a police officer, and he's like, "The bank's closed." So I look around. And I noticed there's actually quite a few police officers outside. So I kind of walk just a few feet and I see one of the police officers and I just ask quietly, like, what's, you know, what's going on? And he says something like there was a bank robbery. Yeah. So this is like a, a, a busy area, I'm assuming, in New York, just like you. Completely busy area. I don't know how you'd pull a car up to the front, get away quickly, like none, nothing confused. So I'm a journalist. And I'm like, okay, great. Uh, I'm not going to ask any more questions. It's clear I'm not going to get answers here. I'm going back to work. I'm just going to keep my eyes on the papers, and I'm going to find out what happened. Well, that sounds reasonable. So did she find out? Not much. And she found that very confusing. I checked all the local papers. I'm Googling the heck out of this thing. And it's been a week at this point, and there has still been nothing on this bank robbery. No information whatsoever. My first thought was, okay, maybe that's not what happened. Completely in the realm of possibility that that's just what the person said. It, it's not true. Kind of the theory that popped into my head more prominently was, what if this is just much more common than I think? What if it's my perception that's off? It could be that bank robberies are so common that editors at news desks are just like not interested and banks keep it quiet. Because maybe they sort of think of it as a cost of doing business. Someone comes in, takes a couple thousand dollars, 
it would be more costly to them for it to be in the press and be public than to just let that money go. So I'm dying to know, is her theory correct? Well, that's one thing we're going to investigate in this episode. I'm Will Johnson. And hi, listeners. I'm Amy Angelowitz, and you are listening to What the Crime, the podcast about the stranger, stranger, stranger side of crime. Now part of the Panoply Network. And on today's show, the state of the bank robbery. Part one, the rise of the note job. Amy, what pops into your mind when I say the words bank robbery? Uh, I kind of think of Bonnie and Clyde. Of course you do, because you're forever the romantic. It's not really a romantic story. They both ended up dead. True. Uh, For me, I think of all the great bank robbery movies like Point Break, Set It Off, and The Town. You heard of those? Yep. Actually, now that I think about it, in a lot of those movies, the bank robbers also end up dead. Because bank robbery is a crime that clearly does not pay. And later in the show, we'll hear from a former bank robber about what it's like to walk out with a bag of money and everyone staring at you. But first, I want to crack open this question. Are bank robberies more common than we think? I actually have a guest who can answer that. You do? Yep. His name is Sam Tusi, and he is actually a friend of mine from high school. He knew me in my goth days, but not relevant to the show. He is a former federal prosecutor who worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York for six years. Wow. Yep. He prosecuted cases where people broke not just state law, but federal law. So bank robbery is automatically a federal crime if the bank is FDIC insured. But Sam's office typically went after the cases where there was a weapon used. And because he regularly worked on bank robbery cases, I asked him straight up, how many bank robberies are there a year in New York? In New York, um, there are several hundred a year. They're they're far more common than people think. They are so common that I can actually look out the window of my apartment and see two banks that have been robbed. Wow, so Kate's theory is spot on. It is. So Sam told me about a case where a bank robber got caught because a witness noted that he looked like George Costanza from Seinfeld. And he also told me about a case where a bank robber dressed up as a construction worker and wore earmuffs over his face. I don't understand how that works. Um, Like, how did he breathe? But the most interesting story that he told me was about a bank robber who got caught red-handed, literally, thanks to a dye pack. So... Do you know about dye packs, Will? Yeah, I've, like, seen them in the movies. Okay, so just for listeners who don't know, a dye pack is a security device that tellers often slip to bank robbers. It explodes and destroys the money and makes it easier for people to identify the thief. Here's Sam again. There was um, one time um, I prosecuted a, a bank robber who robbed four banks in Queens within a few weeks. He'd had them put all the money in the gym bag. After the third bank robbery... He's walking out of the bank, and the dye pack, in, uh, which was orange paint, starts exploding in his gym bag. And he's walking down the street in Queens with this plume of aerosol orange paint just spewing out of his gym bag. And nobody, nobody said anything. Nobody stopped him or anything like that. There was one uh, woman that we interviewed, and, and we asked her, like, didn't you think it was strange that he had this orange plume of smoke behind him? And she, she was like, I just thought that was his thing. Everyone has to have a thing. Well, this particular thing led to this robber getting caught. The getaway car changed between the, the second and the third bank robbery. We found out that the car had been purchased from this used car dealership on Queens Boulevard. Wow. So I, I asked the uh, the detective who'd been on the force for like 20 years, 
we go out and interview the guys at the at the car dealership, and he was opposed to it. He was like, "There's no way, there's no way that anybody there is going to remember selling a used car to some guy. But it's just not going to happen." And so I said, "You know, just do me a favor, go and." Go and interview him, see what happens. And he agreed to do it only because he was on his way home and he was going to pass by there. And the next day he calls me up, he, he tells me that he interviewed uh, some guy at the car dealership who said, yeah, I remember that guy. I remember he was really weird. I remember he paid for the car in cash and the cash had red paint on it. So he'd actually bought the getaway car with the proceeds from the previous bank robberies. The car had been registered to his mother. His mom must have been so proud. Surely. So I was curious how Sam's experience in New York lined up with the national stats on bank robberies. Amy, you'll probably want to sit down for this. Thanks for the warning. Already sitting. Right, you are. According to the FBI, there were 4,091 bank robberies in the United States in 2015. Wait, more than 4,000 in one year? Yep, it's a lot more than I would have guessed too. Any kind of interesting trends in the data that we should know about? Well, bank robbers don't seem to discriminate based on location. Robberies took place in metropolitan areas, small town suburbs, and even rural areas, with a pretty even spread across the country. But things get interesting when you look at when bank robberies happened. Should I still be sitting? Please do. Remain sitting. I think that would be wise. More than a quarter of robberies took place on Tuesdays. Right, Tuesdays mm-hmm. between the hours of 9 and 11 a.m. That seems extremely specific. It's super specific, and another quarter took place on Fridays between 3 and 6 p.m. That makes sense. I mean, everybody's working for the weekend, right? Yeah, exactly. Even bank robbers. You actually reminded me of something that uh, my friend Sam mentioned. He told me about the morning glory. Wow, what's, what's that? Don't worry, it's not what you're thinking. I know it sounds dirty. A morning glory is actually just a bank robbery that happens right before the bank opens. So, like, in the 20 minutes before a bank opens, the the bank robbers will go in and try to rob it before there's any customers in the bank. Well, I guess that's considerate, even if the term sounds vaguely sexual. It does, uh, and I haven't even told you yet about the note job. A note job? Uh Uh-oh. Get your mind out of the gutter. I'll let Sam explain. Most um, bank robberies are actually not with uh, with guns. They're they're most of them are, are what are called uh, note jobs, and that's where the the bank robber walks into a bank and just hands a note to the teller and says, "Put all the money in the bag," you know, "No die pack," whatever, and then they walk out of the bank. I see, like a note space job, like a demand note. That is the technical term. FBI data shows a pretty clear trend on this, actually. Of the 4,091 bank robberies in 2015, 2,416 used a demand note. So more than half were note jobs. And if you look at the stats over time, it seems like note jobs are overtaking the traditional stick-up. Which also sounds vaguely sexual. You're interrupting my statistical flow right near. I was about to tell you that in 1980, about half of bank robbers brandished a gun. By 2000, that dropped to one-third, and today... It's less than a quarter. So the note job has kind of grown in popularity really quickly. Very quickly. In 2003, 26% of bank robbers showed a firearm. I'm full of stats here, by the way. Last year, 21% did. Uh, And I also read an interesting article in the Village Voice where the writer proposed an interesting theory of why this shift toward note jobs is actually happening. He wrote, why use a gun when bank tellers are trained to hand over the money without a fuss? Good point. And Sam actually mentioned this, too. More often, nobody in the bank even knows that it's been robbed other than the teller. 
Well, doesn't the teller, like, <laughs> start screaming? They're trained to um, use as little resistance as possible because nobody wants to get hurt. I think the tellers, quite rightly, don't take the chance. While it's becoming less common, sometimes bank robbers actually do have a weapon. In 2015, 877 bank robberies involved a firearm, 108 involved the threat or use of an explosive device, and 25 involved the brandishing of another weapon like a knife or even a needle. A needle? Yeah, that's something a person has actually done. I don't even want to think about what somebody does with a needle, how they use it as a weapon, because that is terrifying. Though now I'm actually wondering, how often does someone actually use a weapon when they're robbing a bank? Amy, I have the answer. In 2015, acts of violence took place in 137 bank robberies. There were 56 hostages taken and nine deaths, though eight of the deaths were the perpetrator themselves. So what you're saying is, the movies don't lie. Bank robbers often do end up dead. Correct. So how often do they end up caught? Well, More stats. Interesting stuff. According to the FBI, 57% of the bank robbers were identified in 2015, so more than half. Mm -hmm. And I was really surprised to find out that one of the FBI's best tools for catching bank robbers is us. Us? As in the heroic bystanders who wrestle bank robbers to the ground? No, don't do that, Amy. Us, the general public, who can identify individuals in security camera photos and give valuable information. Our last episode was about how names play into crime, and apparently the FBI understands the power of a name, too. According to an article on their website, uh, they come up with catchy names for repeat bank robbers because they know that a good moniker will get the public's attention. Like the geezer bandit, the big banana bandit, the butterfingers bandit, and the nip and tuck bandit. More on them a little bit later. I can wait to hear about the others, but I need to hear about the big banana bandit right now because what I'm imagining... Well, it's a little uncouth. (laughs) The Big Banana Bandit got his name because he was eating a banana during one of his eight stick-ups. So he just needed a snack? Ah, I guess. Sometimes you just need your potassium. Okay, so back to the downsides of bank robbery. So you might get killed. You're probably going to get caught. You're definitely not going to get to finish your banana. But according to federal prosecutor Sam, bank robbers actually don't walk away with as much money as you would expect they would. This is, after all, the age of debit cards, online banking, and Apple Pay. Teller drawers are intentionally limited. Here's Sam again. If you think about how likely it is that you're going to get caught or something's going to go wrong and how little you're going to get out of it, it just doesn't make any sense. It's not that lucrative. And once again, data backs up Sam. In 2012, researchers found that the average bank robber only netted around $4,300 in the U.S., That's really not a lot of money. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not great. The study also found that one-third of robberies are attempted, meaning the robber walks away with absolutely nothing. Womp womp. In the end, the authors concluded that robbing banks is a rubbish career move. They must be British. Their term. (laughs) (laughs) And they pointed out that the statistical chance of getting caught compounds with each robbery. By the fourth hit, a bank robber is extremely likely to be behind bars. And that's funny because that's the exact number of robberies it took for Sam Tusi's gym bag bandit to get caught. Four is apparently the charm. At the start of the show, you probably thought bank robberies were rare. Now you've heard about the robberies that normally fly under the radar. But what of the ones you do hear about? That next. Part two, the unusual suspects. We started the show with a riddle. How could a bank robbery happen in the middle of the day, smack dab in the busiest part of New York City, and not generate a single line of press? And the answer seems to be, it actually happens more often than you guess. Here's former federal prosecutor again, Sam Tusi. 
for the most part, like if somebody walks into a bank and it's a regular stick-up job and it's with a gun and they walk out, there's not much of a story there. And I think that that's a big reason why you don't see a lot of it in the press. The ones that you hear about uh, are the ones that, that go into the colorful um, category. And you know, that's the same conclusion that journalist Kate Turgovnik may came to. Here's her take. We're not hearing about these bank robberies that happen with a note. We're not hearing about these bank robberies that happen for small sums that are just given up. But what you do see in the press is you see people reporting on the weird bank robberies. So when someone wears a specific hat or has a specific kind of mask, or if there's a senior citizen who is robbing banks, which has definitely happened several times in the past few years, those are the kinds of cases you see about in the press. If there's something weird, you're going to hear about it. We're now to my very favorite part of the show where we regale you with stories of bizarre crimes. You know how much I like that. We have so many strange bank robberies to tell you about that we've divided them into three categories. Unusual costumes and props, unusual perpetrators, and unusually ridiculous ways of getting caught. Oh, great categories. I say let's start with costumes and props for 200. Let's do it. In 2010, 43-year-old Carolyn Ann Williams of Pennsylvania walked into a bank dressed as a clown, complete with a brightly colored wig, a polka dot costume, and a big red nose. And please tell me she was wearing clown shoes. Oh, yes, definitely. And she stole about $7,000 when the police found her sitting in her car about a mile away from the scene of the crime. She claimed there was a bomb in the vehicle and that she'd been forced to rob the bank. Hmm. Carolyn eventually pleaded guilty and was sentenced to two to ten years in prison. She was also fined $3,000 to cover the bomb squad call. Wow. Okay, crazy clown. We have to mention 35-year-old Aaron Stein, who robbed a bank with both an unusual costume and prop. He walked into a bank in Pennsylvania wearing an Iron Man mask and threatened tellers with what he said was a bomb. Turns out it was a fake, crafted from telephone wires, duct tape, and a sex toy. Oh, I will never, ever forget that guy. The old fake sex toy bomb trick. Works every time, or at least (laughs) until you get caught. Don't ever try it. Or it's gone missing and someone knows. Stein pled guilty and said that he had panicked when he found out that $9,000 he'd invested to fund his honeymoon was gone. So this was uh, all due to pre-wedding stress? Yeah, he was like a groomzilla. In 2009, a man held up a bank in Tennessee at gunpoint in a full Santa costume. One witness claims that the gunman said he was doing it because he needed to, quote, pay his elves. <laughs> and did he escape by reindeer-drawn sleigh? You'd think, but actually he escaped by gray mid-sized sedan. There's actually a very sad conclusion to the story. Santa was identified months later as 20-year-old David Cotton. After Cotton robbed another bank, this time dressed as a leprechaun on St. Patrick's Day, police pursued Cotton and his getaway driver, and it became a high-speed chase with shots fired, and both Cotton and his driver died. Yeah. We could probably keep talking about robberies committed in crazy costumes for hours, but I think it's time for us to move on to unusual perpetrators. Let's do it. Okay. So only 9% of bank robbers last year were women. So when they strike, they get lots of attention. In 2014, Los Angeles was mystified by the bombshell bandit who pulled off robberies, always in designer sunglasses. And the 24-year-old told her story to the BBC after she got caught. 
She said she'd been talked into robbing banks by loan sharks to get out of debt from a gambling addiction. Yeah, I, I remember her. That's that's a messy situation, but must be a better way to handle it. Amy, do you remember the Ponytail Bandit? I don't think I do. Can you remind me? Well, the Ponytail Bandit went on a robbery spree in 2008 that spanned from Texas to Washington State, always with a blonde ponytail sticking out her baseball cap. An informant eventually identified her as 21-year-old Morgan Michelle Hoke. She was apprehended in Thailand and pled guilty. No, she took that ponytail all the way to Thailand. Mm. Personally, I've always been surprised when I hear about a senior citizen robbing a bank. But there have been multiple grandpa bandits and a granny robber. And don't forget about the infamous geezer bandit who robbed at least 16 banks in the San Diego area between 2009 and 2011. He is thought to be in his 70s, though some think he might be younger and just wearing some kind of special effects mask. He's evaded authorities for years. He reminds me of one more type in this stew of unusual suspects. People who have unexpected motivation. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. For robbing banks. I'm thinking of 50-year-old Cindy Sanchez Carabio, who admitted to robbing three banks in 30 minutes in Florida in 2015. The reason? She wanted to throw her daughter a graduation party. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> misguided... Love. <laughs> well, our all-time favorite case has to be 22-year-old Ramsey Fakuri, who was sentenced to six years in prison for robbing a bank in Illinois in 2014. He did it because he wanted money to buy his girlfriend a $13,000 engagement ring. Okay, couple issues with his plan. Uh, he robbed the bank where she worked, 
on Valentine's Day. Yeah, Ramsey brought a friend with him. The two pointed air pistols at a bank employee as she restocked an ATM. Ramsey's girlfriend saw it happen through the window. When Ramsey's girlfriend texted him, upset about the robbery she'd seen, obviously, he had his friend drop him at the bus depot so he could go comfort her. That's love. Romantic, for sure. Ramsey and his friend got caught because they stopped at a store nearby. Authorities released security footage of them there. Ramsey's girlfriend recognized him and actually made him go to the police. I respect that Ramsey wanted to propose to her, but I just don't understand how a person goes from, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, to, I think I'll just rob the bank where you work today. Why didn't he just tell her that he needed to save for a ring or just pick something less expensive? Love, you know, Amy? I feel like Ramsey's story kind of transitions us nicely into the topic of bank robbers who got caught in really colorful ways. So I have to tell you about 46-year-old Stanley Getty. Last year, he appeared to be drunk as he allegedly demanded $100,000 from a bank manager in Florida. Florida again. So I think his inebriation perhaps prevented him from thinking about his exit strategy. He'd taken a taxi to the bank, but failed to pay the driver. He was apprehended, and it's unclear how he fared in court. He also seemed to ask for a lot of money. It's Florida. Yeah, why not? Why not shoot for the stars, (laughs) shoot for the moon? There's also the case of Ohio couple John Mogan, 28, and Ashley Dubow, 24. Mogan had already served five years in prison for bank robbery when he waltzed into a branch. I don't know if he waltzed in, but... (laughs) Like literally danced in. And did it again last year. After the heist, he posted photos on Facebook of himself. Of course he did. And his honey, giddy with cash. He also posted a photo of him biting a wad of money along with the words, I got six bands, brah. I'm doing real good. Oh my God, send in the grammar police. And the real police, Amy. The Facebook photos and security camera footage were enough to get John arrested. He was sentenced to three years and Ashley got two for complicity. Oh my God. Facebook photos of illegal things. Beware. Don't do it. So I think the Unusual Apprehension Award should go to Charles Estelle, 39, of Chicago. He targeted a vault and was able to stuff more than $230,000 into a backpack during a robbery in 2012. But when he ran out of the bank, he saw police and ducked back inside the strip mall where the bank was located. He was found hours later, stuck in an air duct. Oh, man. Yeah, police had to cut him out. He was, you know, of course, convicted. I can only imagine what was going through his mind as he was sitting there stuck in an air duct. If he wasn't claustrophobic before, he is now. So one thing I do know is that I'm fairly confident we've given listeners the full range of bank robberies that get media attention. Yeah, you know, we've learned about so much, a lot of unbelievable stories. We've learned about the morning glory. Mm -hmm. uh, The note job. The note job and the big banana bandit. Was that it? (laughs) Something like that. Uh, Next, we turn our attention to the more serious side of this criminal phenomenon and venture inside the minds of both tellers and perpetrators in the midst of a bank robbery. Part 3, The Psychological Cost of Bank Robbery. Not to kill our buzz, Will, but Sam Tusi said something that makes me feel just a little bit guilty for laughing at some of these crazy bank robbery stories, even though they sometimes are amusing. The, uh, the comic ones. It's actually a disservice because, you know, I've spoken with bank tellers who had a gun put in their face or thought that they were going to blow up in, in a moment or two. And, you know, they don't know how disorganized and how hapless some of these people are. They don't know whether 
they're going to die that day, and they're terrified. And when you when you talk to them and you know to get them prepared for trial or or whatever, you know, to make light of it almost it's it's it, disrespectful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting because journalist Kate Turgovnik May said something similar after discovering that her bank might have been the site of a robbery. She found herself totally fascinated by amusing bank robbery stories, but eventually she actually soured on them. She realized that there's a rift between our pop culture imagination of bank robberies and the real thing. Here's Kate. We think of bank robberies as glamorous, romantic, old-timey thing. And what I've sort of found over the past few years is that's that's just not what bank robberies are at all. Uh, the reality you see when you get into researching bank robberies is that actually a bank robbery could be a quite a traumatizing thing. I'm trying to imagine being in line at the bank and all of a sudden there's someone brandishing a gun. Like that could be very, very scary. So all episode, we've been talking about how bank robbery is a crime that doesn't pay. Now it's time to look at the psychological cost. Okay, psychology is my area. So I've been doing some digging, and I found that a few different studies have looked at bank employees who've been victims of a robbery. The studies pretty consistently find that the experience can be associated with PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder, especially in cases where the person interacted directly with the robber or felt, you know, intense fear or helplessness during the stick-up. That makes sense. One detail I did find really interesting and encouraging is that rates of PTSD seem to be lower for bank employees than they are for others who experience robberies and assaults. And that also seems to get better over time. So one reason researchers think this might be is that bank employees can't really avoid the place where the trauma occurred. That might actually benefit them in the long run. So, in other words, it's a good thing that unless they want to find a new job, they they have to sit behind the counter and help customers again. Exactly. They have to go back to the scene of the crime. Well, so I've been reading up, too, and I found out that the U.S. Bank Protection Act requires banks to train employees annually on how to handle robberies. In their list of mistakes to avoid during a robbery, it says stuff like not to treat a hold-up note as a joke or to create any surprises for the robber or to try to go after the robber. Basically, the main point is to avoid weapons at all costs. So this is interesting. In Seattle, the FBI started a pilot program which trained bank employees on how to spot potential robbers, you know, who might be acting nervously or avoiding cameras. The program recommended that employees break the ice with these people before anything happens. So what they would tell them to do is, you know, approach them and say something like, good afternoon. Uh, I don't think I've seen you here before. Can I take your ID? Can I help you at my desk? Really unnerve them, huh? But there is something to it, though. The program reportedly led to a 51% decrease in bank robberies in that area. Though the FBI tells us it's no longer active in the same form. Wow, that's too bad. I really love the idea of just somebody walking up and totally freaking out somebody who's about to rob the bank by being too friendly. Yeah. It's such a great idea. Hi, can I help you? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I feel I feel like they should roll it out again. Yeah, they should roll it out nationwide, like tomorrow. Agreed. So I read a pretty amazing essay on ExoJane written by a bank teller named Jen Mack. She shared what it's like to be on the receiving end of a note job. The first thing that I noticed was the word fucking angrily scribbled on the sheet of paper multiple times, she says. My eyes seemed to blur and I struggled to bring them into focus. One half of my mind was rapidly trying to figure out why on earth this note would be covered in angrily scribbled swear words, while the other half was actively trying to read the note. Everything began to move in slow motion. Yeah, confusion would be my response. Uh, I think 
I think it would be mine too. So Jen says that in the moment, she was actually able to remember what she'd been taught in training, but uh, that a lot of it didn't really seem wise. So she gave the robber the money he asked for and says that in the weeks that followed the robbery, customers and coworkers kept telling her what they would have done if they were in her place. She writes, Apparently, if anyone other than me was robbed, then the robber would have been beaten and subdued in 50 different ways. That seems like super insensitive. Weren't people concerned about her? I mean, I'm wondering how the whole incident affected her. She says that the biggest impact of the robbery is the way I now reluctantly handle any notes like they're laced with anthrax because I learned the hard way. Wow, I hereby promise never to give any kind of note to a teller. Me too. I had actually never thought about how something so typically innocuous could inspire trauma for someone. So, we've talked about bank employees, but what's going on in the mind of a bank robber? We asked Crime Feed correspondent Barry Blitch to check it out. I called Pat Dixon, the host of the podcast, The New York City Crime Report. He has reported on a lot of bank robberies and enjoys speculating about why people do the things they do almost as much as I do. A bank robbery, I always thought it was this big event, but you see it sometimes just in the regular police blotter. It's reported like a mugging or like somebody snatching an iPhone out of somebody's hand on the subway platform. Occasionally, there will still be a big interesting epic bank score and we just had one this month and it was in brooklyn in borough park the cultural center of the uh, orthodox community uh, of judaism and the robber waited until after sundown on friday when he knew that everybody would be home uh you know observing the sabbath and robbed the bank uh and got away with two hundred and eighty thousand dollars he drilled down through the ceiling and then drill the hole in the vault, I could spend the rest of my life trying to plan something like that, and I don't think I'd ever be able to carry it off. It really takes a certain kind of a mind. So who's the most intriguing robber, according to Pat? That title goes to a performance artist, Joe Gibbons, who robbed two banks in 2015 and filmed it. Crime and art, I never think of them being uh, closely related, but in this case... He considered his robbery of a bank and, and the filming of it to, to be his art. Uh, he's an avant-garde filmmaker, former lecturer at the uh, at MIT, and you know, he's willing to do time over it. He, he has a history of making weird movies and stuff, but I think that this one is, is going to go down as his masterpiece. Joe Gibbons was accused of robbing two banks. Do you think there's something about bank robbery that's addictive or makes it a crime that you want to repeat? I would say that you have a very good theory in that thinking that, that there is an addiction, an addictive quality to robbing a bank. There must be an addictive quality to robbing a bank because the rush you would feel, the adrenaline, the excitement, probably just even crossing the threshold of the bank, knowing you're about to rob the bank, your heart's pounding. I can see where that would become something that you would want to do again and again. And if you don't get caught the first time, you think you've nailed it. I think that people might become delusional, you know, from thinking that they have the power to just walk off with large sums of money. You know, it's like people sitting at a blackjack table. You don't ever stop until you're out of money. (laughs) I mean, it's hard to walk away a winner. The same thing that that makes a problem gambler uh, keep going is probably the same thing that makes a bank robber 
uh, keep taking his chances with the deck. In this episode, there are so many people who committed two, three, four, even a dozen or more robberies. The FBI stats on bank crime also hinted its addictive nature. Of the 2,731 identified bank robbers in 2015, 38% were found to be users of narcotics, and 20% were found to have been previously convicted of bank robbery. So after Pat and I talked, I couldn't get this idea out of my head. Could a person become addicted to robbing banks? I needed to hear it directly from a bank robber. So I went into our amazing episode stash here at Investigation Discovery, and I found an episode of I Almost Got Away With It that seems to confirm my suspicions. The episode told the story of Steve Millam, a.k.a. the handsome guy bandit. He was convicted of bank robbery in 2005, but after his release from prison, he went right back to it. This time, he wore a very convincing and creepy-as-hell special effects mask with a pair of hands to match. Steve is who you heard at the top of the show. Here's what he had to say about a second robbery spree that began in 2011. I would rob midday during lunch hour. And then there was four different songs I'd listen to. I'd look at a picture of my son in the visor, say a small prayer for me and everybody in the bank and my son. It became an obsession almost. How much could I accumulate? It wasn't a greed factor. You know, I had everything I I wanted in life. It was just something else inside of me that drove me, you know, just like a a drug addict that can't stop. I could not stop. You know, I'd make certain goals for myself. Okay, at this number, I'm going to stop. You reach it and then you, you just keep going. And then after a certain point, you think you're invincible. The moment that changed things for Steve was the moment you heard earlier. The teller Steve had chosen was nervous and moving slowly. In a panic, Steve pulled out a gun for the very first time in his bank robbery career. The money came flying out of the drawers at that point. And when I walked out of the bank, I remember looking back and seeing the looks on the faces of all the patrons and the the employees. Steve was able to make it to his car and take off his mask and fake hands before the police arrived. But a few months later, he got too bold. When he thought a bank manager recognized his disguise, he attempted a takeover robbery. This time, police pulled up right as he left the bank. He fired shots at an officer and made a run for it, ditching the money and his costume in a bag behind a dumpster. But the police found the bag with his key fob inside it. They also discovered his car at the bank with his registration in the glove compartment. He was arrested after a high-speed chase days later. Steve Millen pled guilty to 11 counts of armed robbery and was also charged with brandishing and using a firearm in the commission of a crime. He was sentenced to 35 years. Steve's robbery addiction cost him his freedom. It also cost him his wife, his successful business, and his relationship with his son. Yeah, I have no desire whatsoever to to rob another bank. Why was I risking so much? I'm still working that out. I wish I would have never robbed the first one, that's for sure. Just like all addictions, when it takes hold, you lose control, quickly. But back to my conversation with Pat of NYC Crime Report. He has some interesting thoughts on why bank robbery is so fascinating to the law-abiding public. It has a quaint kind of a quality to it. Like right. uh, It's just one step up from a stagecoach robbery. You know, banks are what we think of as the man. No one feels sorry for a bank. Bonnie and Clyde, they had fans. They were heroes. There's definitely a folk hero spirit about it. And I'm also thinking about just cartoon characters, I feel like are always 
um, you know, robbing banks and dropping safes. It's, it's, it's so simple. The bank is where the money is. You want money. Go rob the bank. And I think that's like a child's mind, and, and that idea can get embedded at a very young age. Playing cops and robbers isn't nearly as fun in real life. We suggest curling up with a heist movie and some nice popcorn instead. You can still wear a wacky mask. So listeners, what's the bank robbery described in this episode that you think needs to be turned into a Hollywood movie? Go on to Twitter at ID Crime Feed and tell us what you think. You know, Amy, I've been waiting all episode for you to tell me about the Butterfingers Bandit and the Nip and Tuck Bandit. Sorry, Will. I uh, totally forgot about them since we had so many other important things to talk about. So the Butterfingers Bandit earned his nickname because according to the Los Angeles Times, he dropped his loot on two occasions. And bank customers would actually help him pick up his scattered cash. That was quite nice of them. It was. And the Nip and Tuck Bandit wore a surgical mask during his robbery. Oh, makes sense. So, Will, I feel like we've learned so much in this episode from what a note job is to how someone could get addicted to robbing a bank. Don't forget, uh, Amy, that people might want to rethink going to the bank between 9 and 11 a.m. on Tuesdays. That is a good call. And in the end, we've shown people that bank robberies are still a relevant crime in 2016. And prove that while robbing a bank in theory involves walking out with bags full of money, it's a crime that just doesn't pay. Not that we're encouraging you to try another one. Next time on What the Crime. Speaking of the geezer bandit, it's an episode chock full of dentures and early bird specials. We look at what happens when senior citizens commit crimes. Our podcast, What the Crime, is presented by Investigation Discovery, America's leading mystery and suspense network. It's lovingly researched and written by Kate Turgovnik-May and hosted by me, Will Johnson, Emily Kaiser, Barry Blitch, and, of course, Amy Angelowitz. Hi. What the Crime is produced by Paul Giannis and Liz Massey, recorded and mixed by Joe Powers. I edit it, and Louis Weeks does the music. Artwork is by Anand Galat. What the Crime is available on iTunes. If you haven't learned that already, please download it, subscribe to it, love it. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.